It's time for Friday Follies, right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Welcome, dear listeners, to the rudiment alchemic... The dungeon of our ethereal play space that transcends space-time. Descend through the cavernous depths of our hive mind. Wriggle through the sulfurous tunnels of our hell's mouth and discover hidden treasures amongst the pockets of nightmares and scrabbling unnamed abominations. The deeper you dig, the darker and more magical are the rewards. To begin, place a monthly monetary value on our podcast. We dare you. Then, visit patreon.com slash rootalchemy and follow the instructions therein for how to pneumatically suction that sweet cash to our coffers. That's it! It's that simple! The dusty planks of our basement will then curl open for you to grab your pickaxe and reap the glinting, gemmery, and gaseous euphoria of our haunted little mine like the soot-faced child laborer you are. Unearth riches like looper reels from every season, soundtrack libraries, Shoutouts on chatter and lore, personalized audio gifts from the narrator, and many more unspeakable objects of your all-consuming greed. As you delve through layer after layer, you'll surrender more and more of the lie you call a self, forgetting even your own name as you unquestioningly abandon your meaningless being to the dread firmament of this, our society, this, our essence, this, our rudiment, alchemic. Join. Remember, that's patreon.com slash rudealchemy, or visit rudealchemy.com slash support. It is the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity of rude alchemy. Greetings, dear listeners. You've caught me in a a moment of exhaustion, but it is a splendid exhaustion, you know. I've come to call it Christmas fatigue, and thankfully it is easily cured by a frothy cup of warm eggnog, with two or three fingers of holiday cheer, of course, and a footrest made of the finest reindeer pelts money can buy. I've spent the past two days in preparation for my annual family Christmas extravaganza, and boy do my muscles ache. Searching through thicket and wood for the perfect tannenbaum, followed by the mad dash home to beat dreaded nightfall. Rehearsing for the annual holiday talent show. I feel good this year, but cousins Molford, Bixby, and Steve tend to steal the show with their crumhorn consort. The local butcher stopped by to deliver this year's goose, and as is tradition, we spilled the blood of yearling calves before each entry to the house, just to be sure. Besides the cooking, the only thing left to do before tonight's activities is to nail shut the windows, invite the local vicar over to ignite the holy fires surrounding the property, and of course, warn the children. I realize this may seem a bit odd to all of you. Why take such seemingly dark measures before a joyous celebration? Uh, No ordinary explanation will suffice, so I shall do what I do best and tell you a Christmas story with none other than our old friend, that handsome Brit, Carver Cranebottom. The Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective Christmas Special is brought to you by Figgy Pudding. Look, British people, we don't know what it is, and we don't care. You don't own Christmas, for fuck's sake. It barely even snows there. And love actually sucks, by the way. I don't care what your college girlfriend thinks. 
The countryside is dusted, all fluffy white and cold, in the crisp crook of another English December. That month, marked solstice by those pagan four people, blood-painted Celts and bog-dwelling Britons, huddled about Barrow and Monolith, panting their foggy breath before modest hearths and watching the days grow dark once more. The harvest long ground to grit, packed and baked and stored, a weight of the wolves of winter. And now, our famous friends, Dr. Carver Cranebottom and Basil Basilton, all a bobble in their coach, traverse this frost-crusted countryside, the fires of their lanterns swaying merrily while dusk dims the snow scene about them, following the ruts of a road cut long ago, perhaps even as far back as those moon watchers from prehistory, our inimitable duo seek the same revelry and respite as Britannia's early man, bound as they are, for a Christmas celebration held at the manor of Baron Bessemer von Candlestick, inventor, mogul, eccentric. Are you all right, Carv? I have a woolen blanket beneath my topcoat, and my teeth are still chattering. The dapple's brace-stepping. How's that? I'd wager your teeth chattering has more to do with our dappled colt favouring his left forehoof than your attempts to outfit yourself like an Eskimo. That brace step will eventually wear loose his hobbling. Come again? The horse on the left there, see? Right horsey, left horsey. He is pulling out and away from his reasonable roan-coated partner here. The consequent jostling must surely cause you the tremors. I myself have opted to offset the vibration with a shim beneath my bench. Hence, your teeth are all a rattle and mine are not. For heaven's sake, Carver, I was simply asking if you were cold. Cold? Of course I'm cold. I've yet to find a true remedy for cold. My last attempt at a warming girdle quickly burned apart my best coat. Warming girdle? Yes, I created a girdle outfitted with several chambers meant to house cooling coals. Ingenious! Unfortunately, the coals weren't cool enough. And hence the burning coat. I'm rather looking forward to consulting with the Baron about improvements. He's quite the brain for invention, however outlandish. I've heard he's quite the assortment of machines tucked away in his mansion. I could not say, though rumours abound. When I consulted for him, he would only meet me in London. To be honest, the invitation to his home is highly unusual. A recluse, is he? Overly protective, to be sure, but such wild geniuses usually are. Wild indeed. Take a look at our surroundings. I feel like a regular frontiersman. <laughs> oh. ah. Suddenly, the horses shrieked and reared madly. <laughs> the dappled coat of Carver's critique shuddering off from his yoke and falling to the ground while the men did their best to rear the other frightened beasts. Good Lord, did you see that? My, but the stock certainly is more robust in the country. It looked like some kind of wolf. Wolf? Ram is more like. I swore I saw a flash of its horns. Well, it's gone now, whatever it was. Perhaps it was just passing through. Gracious, look here. The poor dappled colt. A piece of him gone. How ghastly. I'm afraid whatever it was was not just passing through. It was hungry. And so Basil mercifully dispatched left horsey. And the two resumed. Yep, hold on, not quite there. And the two resumed their journey. Almost got him. Poor thing. All right, now just hold still. It's all right. It's all right. You're going to go to a nice place. Oh, God damn it. Come on. Here we go. The hell is wrong with this thing? Jesus. Carver, Carver, are you... Are you able to give a hand here? This thing is ridiculous. Come here. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Hold still. Okay. Oh, oh, God. Stop, stop, stop. There's so much Hammer. blood. There's so much Hammer. blood. I mean, uh... Oh, uh, oh. oh, left horsey's up again. Go, left horsey, go. Hey, wait. 
what left Horsey was gone. It went on to live a full and healthy life. Is that what you want to believe? Great. Then that's what happened. Left Horsey was fine. Absolutely fine. Nothing bad happened to it, because it's a beautiful, precious animal. And only good and compassionate things happen to beautiful, precious animals, because... I don't f***ing know, because it's Christmas, okay? It's a Christmas animal miracle, because animals deserve everything humans deserve. No, 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 no. They deserve more than humans deserve, because they are somehow more innocent, right? Because acting out of sheer instinct for survival is innocent, right? Because eating and shitting and f***ing just to exist is innocent, right? That's what innocence means, right? Right. And so the two resumed their journey, with right horsey only. Uh, left horsey was actually just a puddle of pulp and leather at this point, but anyway. Soon after, as a light snow began to fall like ash from the embers of heaven, they arrived before the imposing gates of Baron Bessemer von Candlestick. The whole estate was a hodgepodge of curling castle and industrial expansion, towering turrets coated in cogwork, smokestacks belching from a pristine spire. As their coach approached, the gates whirred and buzzed and suddenly sprung open without the assistance of a footman, and soon enough, the two were entering the great hall, where they were greeted by a terribly rigid fellow with coiffed raven-black hair and an equally rigid raven-black moustache. Greetings, Monsieur Bezeltine, Monsieur Cranebottom. Doctor Cranebottom, s'il vous plaît. Carver? I didn't know you spoke French. J'ai l'or été du toit, moi, vais passer mon mois. All right, Basil. Ah, docteur, pardonne-moi, je ne voulais pas offenser ça. Monsieur, Dr. Cranebottom est un homme très indulgent. That's enough, Basil. Tout à fait, pardonnez, mon ignorance est, est inacceptable. Monsieur, vous êtes le homme des hommes le plus amnibus queer géochonas? Okay, I don't speak French, okay? Okay. I am the Baron's chief valet, Moulin. May I trick your gentleman's walking sticks? No walking sticks here, thanks. Moulin pressed down on what looked like a small brass pendant, and the device suddenly went clinking up a track until it stopped atop a wall of neatly hung walking sticks, all glittering in their divine presentation. A device just for organizing walking sticks? How grand! Makes you sort of wish you brought one, doesn't it, Carve? No. What shall we do with our coats, monsieur? Our coats goon Richard will throw them in a messy pile on the Baron's bed. Richard? Yes, sir. Two more coats for my messy coat mountain. On second thought, I'd rather keep mine. Thanks, Richard. Here's mine, Richard. Will it be terribly difficult to find when it's time to go? It'll be absolute chaos to find. And you have to smell everyone else's coat when you're sifting through the big pile. And things will fall out of the pockets. And you'll think, well, it's not my fault they didn't put them in there snug enough. But you feel so guilty that you try to start stuffing it back into the pockets. And then someone will walk in behind you. And you'll have to make a big show of how the things fell out on their own. And you were doing the nice thing by putting them back. I see. It's my heaven. I want to have carnals with the coats. I want to kiss the goats. That will be all, thank you, Richard. Yes, sir. I want to fuck the goat. Now, gentlemen, a few words of warning. The manor may possess uh, devices with which you are unaccustomed. Please proceed with caution before attempting to utilize them. Carver, help! I'm trapped in this smelly closet. Ah, Monsieur Bazeltine has located the water closet. Water? Mr. Moulin, I'm sorry to inform you, but someone has been keeping pee in this closet. Oui, Monsieur. Or oui, whatever you prefer. Gosh, the French are so particular. Come out of there, Baz. What Moulin calls a water closet is actually an automated chamber pot. Oui, Monsieur. Or poo. Don't forget about poo. How could we? <laughs> You mean... Yes. <gasps> Let's never leave. As I was saying, please be cautious with unfamiliar machinery. 
Of course, if you see anyone tampering with any of it, alert me immediately. Despite our best efforts, spies remain a problem. Spies? Those who would steal the Bachin's genius, especially those vultures from Tusk in Italian. We shall remain vigilant, monsieur. Now, ooh. A startling beauty emerged from the crowd, and Carver Cranebottom's tongue went liquid. Her hair shivered platinum and gold atop an eager vulpine face, the full heart's curve of her cheeks meeting saucily at a pointed chin that she dipped coyly, or chastely. Carver hadn't enough of an impression to figure which. Alles Roswitha. Gesundheit. The misinterpreted sneeze joke? Really? And who is this Rotzvita? Gesundheit. There it is again. L- let me guess. One more time, right? Comedy of threes, right? She is the Pachin's ward, an orphan from Bavaria, like the Bachin himself. She studies the still and only visits on the holidays. We are lucky to have her with us then, eh? This Rotzvita. Gesundheit. And there it is. You know... I thought this special was going to be special, but I guess it's just more of the same old shit. Excuse me, gentlemen. Dinner is nearly ready. Goodbye, Mr. Mulan. Carver, where are you going? To speak with the blonde Bavarian beauty, naturally. You think so? I assumed it was a dye job. Oh, fuck off, Basil. Crane Bottom, is it? How's that? Carver Crane Bottom, the famous bone detective. An oily-looking fellow with a most regal moustache edged his way through the crowd, whilst nervously chewing his pipe. I am Dr. Carver Cranebottom, yes, and this is my associate Basil Basilton. How do you do? John Ron Blobmon Sr. Of the Blobmon Crust and Cuts Victual Scuttle and Fancy Food Cannery? The very same. I love your Crumb Bun Cudgel Wumps. Good lad. And your Thimble Tuna Tindergraphs. That's Fine. And your... Here, fellow, have a chicory splint to tile yourself before sup. Hoorah! Say, Cranebottom, still do a bit of detecting, do you? Not currently, but... Uh... I might have a case for you. This baron, our host, his dynamos and trinkets outpace the back-breaking bustle of my garbage people ten to one... I've been grinding these workers to grit with triple shifts and half meal breaks for days. But they can't keep up, poor things. My factory will be obsolete in a fortnight. But what's worse is my boy's gone missing. Your son? Aye. John Ron Blobbon Jr., he's called. Sassy little pudge. He's vanished, and I suspect it's these agitated garbage folk who've done it, taking their revenge upon me in hopes I might ease their suffering. But someone's got to pack the tins with the slime of forbidden meats, and I don't have the Haitian mathematicery to invent some whiz box to do it for me. So you think your son's been stolen by the men you've overworked at your factory? And you've overworked them because you've been outpaced by a competitor, and that same competitor is the very host of this party which you're now attending? You've got it. I'm afraid I cannot fathom what you are even doing here, if you hate the Baron so much. Well, free dinner and all. Think about it, detective. Farewell. Carver saw that Roswitha had moved further away into the great entrance hall, but as he began shouldering his way toward her... Another familiar voice cut through the din. A woman with frizzled yellow hair began flapping her hand excitedly. Her dull blue dress was embellished with various antiquated ornaments that jangled as she approached. Oh, hello, Marigold. Carver, have you seen the self-sweeping ashtrays? A bit more useful than a wall of walking sticks, I suppose. Lovely inventions, don't you think? Who is your compatriot? Marigold Montgomery, this is Basil Basilton. Marigold is a fellow archaeologist. We met on a dig, didn't we? Yep. A dig, eh? Eh? 
Yes, it was a tight little situation, wasn't it, Marigold? Oh, yes. Ah, I just bet it was. For the tunnel had been utilized by a much smaller race of man. Not a great big chap like you, eh, Cough? If only we had our host's magical instrument. Wait, what? The Baron's got a big one, too? His miracle tool for miners and anthropologists alike. Oh, wow. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> Excuse me, gentlemen. What's all this? Marigold's fiance, Dick Diggins. Really? Marigold and Dick were together on a dig using a tunnel support strut designed by the Baron, and, well, the device failed. Marigold escaped the tunnel collapse, but Dick was unfortunately crushed. Ah, like how crushed? Like dead crushed. Ah, they crushed his dick to death? I'm not sure who they is in this case, but yes, they crushed Dick to death. Dick died. Dick dead. In an accident supposedly caused by the Baron's failed invention. I can't imagine what inspired Marigold to visit the home of the man seemingly responsible for her fiancé's death. Dinner is served. The guests were funneled into a large dining hall, candle-lit and cosy, where a great glinting set of tracks ran along the length of the table. The metal track work and accompanying cards puffed along like a child's toy as the varied visitors took their respective seats. The Baron himself, his tallowy skin as yellow as his thinning hair and mustaches, stood at the head of the table and eyed the guests warily as they came to their respective seats. When he caught sight of Carver, he lifted a crooked finger, and the chief valet Moulin quickly swept up to Carver and Basil, escorting them hastily to his beckoning master's side. Dr. Carver Canebottom. Baron, how do you do this evening? You will sit here, and your friend here. At the head of the table? That's hardly necessary. I insist. You are the guest of honor. Your assistance has been invaluable. Not apparently, since you placed a value on it and compensated me accordingly in London. But I know better than to argue with a German. Thank you, Baron, for your continued hospitality. Harbour took the seat at the head of the table, with the Baron at his right hand and Basil at his left. He looked to the end of the table and saw Roswitha seated there, with those many dozen feet of hand-polished oak and shiny tin tracks set between them. As all the guests settled into their seats... The Baron rose, pressed a button on a panel in front of Carver, and the huffing and whizzing carts on the curious little track ceased their metallic motion. The din of the crowd dulled. Mulan appeared and poured the Baron a swallow of dark liquid into his goblet. The old man cleared his throat and spoke. Welcome, welcome, happy Christmas. Winter, winter is a curious time, yes? It is a season of needs. The need for shelter, the need for warmth, and the need for food. And I am like the great Saint Nicholas, like Father Christmas himself, to give them to you. Welcome, happy Christmas, ho ho. But winter is only a piece of the compass, the end of the cycle. The wheel turns, and the seasons change, and we are faced with decisions that will lead us to harvest or famine. Death or excess? Reward or punishment? You can never have both. The labors you expand determines the awards you reap. In Germany, we have not forgotten this balance, this justice. So for every Saint Nicholas to bring bounty of food and light and heat, there must be his opposite. One who will take them away and leave you shivering and hungry in the dark. We Germans have a name for this anti-father Christmas. We call him Krampus. He is a terrible, woolly old devil with cloven hooves and great looming horns. And just as Saint Nicholas will bring presents for the good children, Krampus will bring a switch to beat the bad ones. The old baron lifted his cup, and Carver couldn't help but notice the grimacing faces of John Ron Blobmon and Marigold Montgomery, and in fact, as he closer studied them, most of the assembled guests shared a similar pained expression as they watched their host. But we have all been good children, yes? Worked hard, sun deep, and now we may feast. I am especially proud of my precious Vard, the beautiful Razvitsa, 
who has been sailing over her studies diligently in the shadows of the Hoptisuan Vichnisnihorn on the continent Vraswita. Kava peered to the opposite end of the table, but Roswita, the baron's beauteous maiden, was gone. He took note of the tight smiles that had replaced the guest's former grimaces. The baron carried on. Prost! Baron Bessemer von Candlestick slurped from his goblet and once more pushed the button before Kava, sending the table track to puffing and cranking. The carts entering the track now bore steaming plates of food and glass tubs of wine and beer. The guests were served almost instantly as the rattling mechanical marble shuddered along on their predestined paths. Carver found himself suddenly voraciously hungry and began tearing into his meal. Basil, however, had some questions. Excuse me, is, is there pepper in any of this? I'm allergic to pepper. Hello? Luckily, Mulan, the chief valet, was nearby inspecting the Baron's food and could answer Basil's fucking ridiculous questions. Oui, sir? Hi, sorry. Uh, is there pepper in any of this? I'm allergic to pepper. Or pepper like the fruit that is green and crunchy? Or pepper like crushed peppercorns that is used for seasoning? Sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, the pepper that's a fruit? You mean vegetable, right? Well, sir, technically it is a fruit. I don't understand. A vegetable is typically the root, stem, or leaf of a plant... A fruit is the mature ovary of a plant. Excuse me. Did you say there are ovaries in this? Well, technically... I have... I have severe ovary allergies. I... Excuse me. And so Basil Basilton, culinary weakling, stumbled off for a quick poopy and or pukey. I think it might be both. Is something in the matter, Dr. Cranebottom? Unlike Basil, I think I must be sated. I've suddenly no appetite. Monsieur Moulin, has the Baron left us already? No. He will return when his food is prepared. Is it not prepared now, or do you need to stir through it a few more times? My inspection is simply another precaution. One cannot be too careful, Doctor. Of course, for if there are saboteurs, there must be poisoners, too. Ugh. Uh, if you'll excuse me, I, I think I need some air. Carver exited the great room and entered the hall nearest the opposite end of the table, the place where Roswita had been seated. Carver found himself passing various brightly painted doors, each surrounded by a string of glass bubbles that flitted candlelight in a cheery but altogether alien manner. The eerie light urged an acceleration to his pace, and soon the hall suddenly opened into an antechamber, edged in the fine stained glass windows of red and gold, reflecting the flames of various candelabras within. The crimson-coloured light was interrupted by a blade of pure white, a door, Carver soon realised, left partially open. He pressed the door open as the swirling snow piled in, and soon he was crunching his way into the chilling open air. He paused. As soon as he caught a glimpse of it, there in the cold white moonlight, a footprint in the snow. Rotsvita? Carver studied the imprint and its twin nearby. Then the third and fourth, a whole track of footprints left by a small boot heel in this snow-covered courtyard. The reddish glow from the antechamber behind him illuminated the stone walls that surrounded the scene. He followed the footprints, careful not to cover them with his own tracks. Roswitha? Damn, it's cold. Roswitha? Suddenly, the footprints stopped, as if their maker suddenly leapt straight into the sky. On the snow, by the final set of imprints, he saw a dark spatter on the white. He stooped down and squinted in the ruddy light afforded by the antechamber's still open door. A small smattering of color upon the snow... Mud or ink or, or what? Good heavens. Carver, reckoned the distance from the final footprint to the nearest wall, must have been seven or eight feet, too far for a woman of Roswitha's size to jump. He scanned the snow near the wall for signs of violence, but it was pristine, uninterrupted. It was when his eyes lifted that he saw it there, 
a great patch of darkness atop the wall, perched in wait. Carver's mouth fell open when he finally discerned the figure in full, with its horrible black horns edged upon the moon. Then the world went white once more. The Kava Cranebottom Bone Detective Christmas Special is brought to you by the homemade gift you made for your father when you were seven. You know, the macaroni Christmas wreath that he said was ugly right before he told you to leave him alone and let him get some peace and quiet for once. And then your Uncle Walter took you aside and said, Hey, your daddy doesn't mean it. He's just tired from all the extra shifts he works at the factory for you and your sister. Let me see that wreath. Well, that's lovely, announcer, just lovely. You ought to be mighty proud of that wreath. I wonder if you'd let me have it. Well, thank you. I'm going to hang it over my mantle and tell everyone who sees it, my nephew made that for me. Always remember, announcer, nothing you make with a giving heart could ever be considered ugly because you are beautiful inside and out. And then you remembered that Uncle Walter was imaginary. Oh, goodness gracious me, what a nail-biter. The, the blood, the ham-handed murders of innocent equine, quick glimpses of horror and sinister intentions, buxom Bavarian babes, and of course a horned beast. Utterly appropriate for this holy tide of Christmas, eh? Oh, it brings me back to my own childhood traditions spent with my grandparents along the Danube in Österreich. I surely hope you, dear listeners, are enjoying your own Christmas festivities. But I think a little break is in order. Perhaps time for a, a, a quiet cup of your choice? <laughs> a biscuit or two? Uh, even a little quickie with your third cousin in the coat room? <laughs> I mean, that kiss beneath the mistletoe last Christmas party did last a little longer than one would expect for a cousin, right? I mean, she is a, a third cousin. <laughs> what does that even mean? We share what? The, the same second great-grandparents? Please. Plenty of genetic diversity to go around. <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy, I'm just rambling on now. Oh, it's this damn family talent contest. Every year I get unbelievably nervous. Soon I'll be sweating through my knit Christmas frock, and then comes the crippling dry heaves. Oh, God, I need to practice. Oh, I need to practice. Oh, God. Mulford. Bixby and Steve would be here soon with their fucking crumb horns and play the shit out of them. Ugh, I hate people like that, you know? People with raw, uncut, God-given talent. Why can't they just work, then work harder, and then fail like the rest of us? Okay, okay, I need to focus. Okay, um, you know what? I'm just gonna take one of, uh, uh one of Grandmama Mahedible's, uh, calming pills. Yep. Ugh. Uh, and uh, maybe just a maybe just a line or two of cousin Dagmar's evening out powder. Uh, uh, just one little, one little, one more. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Time to rehearse, baby. Give me a moment to cue up this cassette tape. This is a little ditty we'd sing by the fire in the old tongue. Frolock und Herzog 
Israel. O come, O come, do go Sohn, so er da stieg vom Himmelsthron, Gott her und heilen Schließ auf des Himmels Tor, bald kommt dein Heil, Immanuel, Frohlock und Jeutzer Israel. Mm. Just like a sweet Prince, baby angel, like mother always told me I was. <sighs> and now, dear listeners, please enjoy Act Two of the Carver Crane Bottom Christmas Special. <laughs> the Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective Christmas Special is brought to you by Wendell's Department Stores, Dickensian Village. Experience the blight of unimaginable poverty, the specter of institutional cruelty, and the accusing hands of morality and charity shaming the excesses of wealth and avarice, all while taking advantage of our door-busting mega-sales. From high atop the ancient cobbled walls of Baron von Candlestick's manse, the view of Carver Cranebottom's sprawled personage, stark and drastic against the expanse of unblemished virgin snow, would not have been dissimilar to a child's happy glance at a bit of gum-drop candy featured proudly upon a fresh pillowcase, ready to be sucked with relish, whilst dreams of the next morning's magic fill his stockinged head. But this was no dream, no mere child's sweet suckfest, no. This was our hero, Carver Cranebottom, and he had fainted. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm afraid I must strenuously object to your word choice. Fainted? It's not only extreme, it's also likely inaccurate. As of yet, we have no idea why I collapsed. We don't need to know why you fainted. Only I do, and I do. I'm not just a narrator. (laughs) I am a third-person omniscient narrator. That literally means I know all. Really? Third-person omniscient? Okay, I'd have gone with unreliable. I'm working on my punctuality, and there's a lot of stress for me associated with this work. It's not as simple as showing up on Skype on Tuesday at 7pm, okay? If only you saw what my afternoons were like pre-recording. Bathing, sobbing, bathing again. It's exhausting. Oh, mon dieu, Dr. Heinbottom, are you alright? What? Uh, what? What happened? I do not know. I come to retrieve a bottle of reasoning. I left it chill in the outdoors, and I find you here on your back in the snow. You must have had some sort of a, a attack, or as you say, fainting spell. See? What? Don't be absurd. I insist you cease this concern for me. I am most egregiously afeard for poor Rotzvita. I followed her footprints to this very spot, and I found them to be mingled with blood. And when I looked up to the top of the wall... We? Uh, never mind. Suffice it to say, it is clear to me the girl is in danger. She must be searched for at once. Shh! You would do well to keep your vice down, Doctor. We would not want a panic... Indeed, the slowly encroaching guests, drawn outside by Moulin's commotion, already had the look of an incensed herd who, having caught the scent of wolf in the night air, needed only the hint of a snarl to drive them to frenzy. Cranebottom, what are you on about? Yes, what is it, Carver? I'm a guest as well, and I too am concerned. Now, now, Mr. Blobman, Marigold, Mr. Uh, uh... Gus Gesterson, the third... Oh, ha-ha, very clever writers. Couldn't think of a good third guest name, so you just made him the guestiest guest that ever guessed it? Brilliant. I suppose his sole distinguishing characteristic is that he's a great guest, right? No, I'm actually a gradual penile auto-cannibal, but it doesn't come into play in this story at all. Wow. Okay, I stand corrected. So you really eat... Yep, still five inches to go. To go? Yeah. What's the big deal with that? 
I, I don't see what the big deal is either. Oh, shut up, Carver. Now listen, everyone, there's no reason to panic. Sure, I followed Rotsvita's footprints to a dead end. Sure, there's blood in the snow. Sure, I saw a giant horned figure as I gazed up at the night sky. A horned figure? Great Scott. So, Muna, is this kitchen, like, open for guest usage, or...? Suddenly, a blood-curdling wail echoed, chillingly across the estate. The guests conveniently completed my sheep analogy and scattered into the snowstorm, their screams braying up and over the manor's great walls. It's horns! I see its horns! No, no! It's coming for me! No. No. I, I've so much left to finish. Oh, so, so much. Wait, wait. Please, don't panic. I... Was that Basil? It was. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Basil, still bursting at the orifices for relief from the peppery dish that allergized his insides, searched with desperation for an unoccupied W.C. Ah, ah, now where the hell am I? Ah! The maid's chambers! <laughs> the stable! <clears throat> Occupied. The kitchen! Damn! I'll never find it! Oh, that Basil, always exploding with his own waste. Meanwhile, Carver Cranebottom searched for more clues whilst under the watchful eye of Moulin. Really, Monsieur Moulin, I do not require your assistance at this time. I'm afraid I must assist Dr. Cranebottom. The Bachin is very concerned for the secrecy of his inventions. We cannot have you snooping around just anywhere, unattended. Very well. And perhaps you wouldn't mind doing me a favour by holding this fistful of snowflakes! Why did you do that? Just, uh, just playing the hits. Hmm. Yeah. Got a lot of p***y from that joke. Hmm. Good for you. Look, Roulon, these walls are covered with scratches. They appear to be claw markings. Where? There, can't you see them? Right next to that gory clump of blood-soaked Rotsvita-coloured hair. Wait a minute. What? Carver knelt and picked up the hair carefully on the end of a twig. Hmm. It's most definitely the girl's hair, and such a large amount. One thing's for certain, living or dead, she is now, in all likelihood, significantly less hot. Really? Huh. I like short hair. Oh, you're one of those guys? <laughs> yeah, uh, come on, man. I mean, sure, I, I tell my wife she looks just as beautiful with her hair bobbed as she did when it cascaded down past her shoulders like sunlight spilling over a mountain range. But that's just something you say. <laughs> I mean, most of me died when she came home with that haircut. It was an end of her use. But it... It's easier in the mornings, and and she's got the kids to take to daycare and all, but, uh... Hey. <sighs> hey. It's okay. <sighs> You're a good husband. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you guys are crazy. You know, I love, like, a pixie-cut girl with maybe an eyebrow piercing, or... Uh, shut up now, right there. You've never even had a girlfriend. How did you know I... Carver! Carver, goddammit! I told you that in confidence! And whose mistake was that? Well... Well, we're learning a lot about our friendship today, aren't we? Mulan, I'm afraid the evidence is mounting. There is something unnatural at work here. A beast, a clawed, horned beast, rose the estate. He may have Rotsvita! We must secure the estate. I'll have the Bachin's men round up the guests and bring them safely inside. I'm relocating my search inside of doors. Judging by the claw marks on the walls, I believe the beast may have attempted to enter the mansion. Keep the guests together. No one should be alone tonight. Or every night, eh, narrator? Every single night of his life? Ho, 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 man. Uh, that, uh, that was too hard. That was too much. That was too much. <sighs> Okay. Ignoring him. 
I'm the bigger man. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Basil has found his way to the basement, but not to a working commode. Come on, come on. <coughs> Women's locker room. Maybe this one. <coughs> Women's steam room. Come on, please. <coughs> Men's steam room. Ah! There must be a damn bathroom somewhere in this bloody estate. I can't keep searching every hey, damn... Hey, Baz? Hmm? Yes? Did did you... Did you get a chance to, to close that last door? Hmm? Which? The ladies' steam room? Yeah, that's closed. No, no, the uh, the last one. The the men's... Because I, I didn't hear... No, 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 I... I... I closed... Yeah, I, I don't think you did. You know, no, I, I did. It, w- it was um, uh, the ladies, ladies' lager, ladies' steam. One, two, three. I, I think if you'll check again, you... No, I'm quite sure I... Oh, you're right. <laughs> Silly me, look at that. Yep, it's still wide open. Wide open. Did you... Did you want to go go ahead and, and close that one? Oh, uh, right away. Here we go. Um, <clears throat> I got it. So, um, anyway... Uh... Basil? What? 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 Oh, all right, fine. Thank you. Uh, oh, my. Only one more door. Please, 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 please. What? What is that? Meanwhile, in the main hall, Carver tracked the beastly marks down the corridor. They seem to lead to this door. God in heaven, what is that sound? Carver leaned in close, pressing his ear to the cold, grainy oak. Basil! Dash it all! What are you doing sprinting about like a trackman? You nearly broke my neck. Carver, thank God! I've had the most dreadful time down in that basement. It's been absolute murder trying to find a working toilet in this damn house. Yes, yes, never mind that, Baz. I'm onto something rather serious. It seems a great beast, clawed, horned, positively ghastly, has kidnapped Rotsvita. Claws, about yay big? Yes. And horns, about yay big? Yes. And your penis is about yay big? No, it's more like, oh, <laughs> you almost got me that time, Baz. Uh, I'll get you yet. <laughs> I just bet you will, you little rascal. <laughs> um, but, Basil, how do you know the dimensions of the beast? Have you seen it? Not exactly. Follow me. The duo raced down the stairs, returning to the basement from whence Baz had emerged. They stood next to a pair of heavy wooden doors. Basil approached the one on the left. All right, Carve. What you're about to see through this door may be shocking. So, prepare yourself. Oh, come off it, Basil. I'm more than capable. Oh, dear God! What? What is that? Oh, dear Christ! Yeah, okay, it's a little scary, but it's just a costume carve. It's okay. No, no. No, it's not that. What? It's just a beast costume. Horns and claws and a scary mask. Clearly there's a human element at play here. Oh, for heaven's sake, let me see... Oops. Okay, sorry, wrong door. What was that? Wrong door. I think it's the one on the right. Yes, but what... what did that? I told you, I had a hard time finding a WC. That... that was you? Okay, let it go. Oh, dear God. It was everywhere. It was on the ceiling. And the colors. I've never seen such colors. I have severe allergies. What was under it all? It looked like it was moving in places. It all happened rather fast, but I believe at some point the room may have been intended as a small aquarium. Of course, it will be quite impossible for it to continue as such now. Quite. Here. I'm certain this is the correct door. Oh, my. Empty? And you're sure... Yes, absolutely. The hanger is the same. It appears that in that short amount of time, someone has taken the costume. What does it all mean, Carve? What is this beast supposed to be, anyway? You remember the Baron's yuletide speech from the dinner table? About St. Nicholas for the good children and the cloven-footed, horn-headed monster for the bad? The monster by the name of... Krampus? Krampus. 
Krampus. A chill crept round their necks, and the duo shivered. Suddenly, a phantom gust of wind caused the dim lamplight cast from occasional torch sconces to evaporate into pitch darkness. Come on, Bass. Let's find our way out of here. Carver and Baz crept cautiously through the crypt-like cellar. With only the aid of Carver's meager supply of matches, the duo soon found themselves lost amongst the twisting hallways. Damn! I was sure the staircase was just ahead, and I'm down to my last match. Let me think. Basil, stop breathing so heavy. You sound like a goat passing a kidney stone. Me? Your respiration sounds like an old bear mounting a nubile kid. You mean kid like goat, right? And bear like bear, right? Never mind. The point is I'm not even breathing heavy. It has to be you. It's not me. Here, I'm holding my breath. As am I. Hold on. Carvo raised the match toward the source of the sound, and the dim light illuminated a long, panting tongue, dead green eyes, and two ghastly curved, razor-sharp horns. <laughs> the Krampus grabbed for Carvo, and the light went out. Then... Then... Uh, I don't know! I don't know! I can't see! It doesn't sound good, though, does it? Oh, come on, Basil! Come on, Carver! Get that Krampus! You f*** him up! Yeah! Carver! Basil! Basil! God damn it! I have no idea what's happening! Fine, fine! I'm invoking narrator's privilege. Suddenly, the wall's sconces flickered back on inexplicably. I know, I know, whatever. F*** you! You don't know what I have to deal with! Carver! Carver! Once again, when faced with the monster, Carver Cranebottom fainted dead away. Now, stay back, you beast! Ha! Ah! Uh, uh, what happened? Ooh! Please, please let me tell him. Wait, wait. No, no. You know what? It'll be better coming from you. Well, Carver, I'm not sure how to tell you this, but. You fainted again, you pussy! <laughs> Preposterous. I'm afraid it's true, Carver. Highly improbable. I... Baz. Oh, Baz, my good man, is that your blood? You're positively covered. Hmm? Why, no, it's not. Must be from the monster when I scratched him. Scratched him? With what? My fingernails. It's kind of my main way of fighting. Ah, well. Well done. Heavens! Look at the floor! The beast left quite a trail of it, too. No man could bleed so profusely and still be standing. I don't know what we saw, Basil, but no mere costume pretender explains it. Look, the stairs are ahead. We must alert the Baron at once. Carver and Basil bounded up the stairs and made their way to the Baron's own chambers. They burst in without knocking and found him there. Baron von Candlestick, naked at the waist, under a bloody sheet. Oh, mein Gist, I did not wish for you to see me like this. Dear God, Baron, what's happened? Judging from the appearance of your friend, I'd wager you know all about it. The Kramp... Carver's... Krampus? Krampus. The Krampus. It attacked you too? Yes. Come, let us help you. No, there's nothing more to be done. Mulan is tending to my wounds in secret as I am trying to keep my remaining guests calm. He'll be back any moment with a pain-relieving serum I've developed. I can only pray that you and Mulan can stop this beast before he harms my Vrasvita. Please, make your way to the kitchen. The ovens there are warm, and you may wash yourselves from this wicked creature's attack. I will send Mulan to you directly. Moments later in the kitchen, Carver examined the elaborate coggery of the automated meal service system while Basil helped himself to a light snack. Mm. This sausage is to die for, Carver. Mm. I'm so sorry, I'd offer you a bite, but there's only a tiny bit left. Never mind that, Basil. Look at this contraption, will you? It's the automaton that served us at dinner. You see, the serving platters are all designed to be sealed with these steel covers. Well, one of them has been tampered with, jarred loose. Heavens! It's the dish for the head of the table where I was sat. It looks like we have a poisoner on our hands, Basil. But who would want to poison you? Not me, Baz. The Baron. He would typically be at the head, but only offered it to me last minute as a thank you for helping him perform an analysis of some rare metals in my laboratory last spring. Basil, don't you see? I must have ingested the poison that was intended for the Baron. That is why I've been losing consciousness. Yeah! 
Yes. My apologies, Herr Klingbottom. Roswitha. Yes, it is I. I had hoped to incapacitate the Baron long enough to uncover the plans for his latest invention, the one he is so secretive about. I failed to poison him, <laughs> but not to secure the plans. Rodrizo waved a large, thick envelope. With the rumours of this monster flying around the castle, the distraction has proved as effective as the poison. And now, I shall be on my way. Not so fast. If you think I'll just let you walk out of here, I... Wait, your hair. It's as long, lustrous and hotly styled as when I first laid eyes on you. You were never injured, nor were you ever under the Krampus's captivity. Krampus? The children's Christmas story? Is that the monster sees full sink is stalking them? <laughs> Wherever did I get that idea? From me. The Baron emerged. From the waist down, he was clad in a beastly costume, cloven hooves, a long bovine tail, and the muscled legs of a plough horse. In the bright light of the ovens, Carver could see the seams where the monstrous get-up had been sewn. Strapped to each thigh was a leaking pouch of red, blood-like liquid. The Baron's upper body was bare, except for a hissing pair of steam-powered claws clapped to his wrists, which opened and closed with a gasping, respiratory pulsation. You see, mine friends, it is the stories we tell that are often more powerful than the truth. And my story tonight is almost complete. So far, I've been telling it with scratches and balls, bits of hair, and blood from my six. Yeah. My sad story. By Baron von Candlestick. A monster terrorized my castle and slaughtered my poor Razvitsa. So much better than the truth. My Razvitsa. The one I educated, the one I sheltered, the one I loved, has betrayed me to steal my designs. That won't do at all. We must have a world of justice. Punishment, and you, Vrasvitsa, must take yours. Stay back, Baron. The girl will pay for her crimes, but not like this. Allow me to take her to London. Constable Basilton, place her under arrest. Never. She will pay now, and so will you if you try to stop me. Piss off, Cranebottom. I've wanted this for a long time. Roswitha pushed Carver into Basil, and they toppled to the floor. She swung at the Baron with all her might and belted him across the face. The older man was shaken, but quickly regained his composure and flicked a switch on the back of his wrist. Soon the claws were ripping through the air at a rapid pace. Watch out! In an instant, the Baron was on top of Roswitha, pinning her to the floor. Tell me one thing, mean Liebchen. Who sent you to live with me? Was it all a lie? Always a trick. But she wouldn't answer. She spat in the Baron's face and kicked like an animal. With a tinge of regret tempering the Baron's furious expression, he lowered the pneumatic claws and... Oh, oh, shit! Oh, man! Oh, oh, oh that was... Oh, damn! Oh, he got her. Yeah, yeah, he got her. Merry Christmas, everyone. Damn! And now, I do so hate to be rude to guess, but you mustn't spoil my story. hi oh. No! Oh, shit! Oh, me, oh my! And now Mulan just snuck up and, and killed the Baron with a meat cleaver! Ah, man, sorry for the lack of description, but, but what with the song and everything, we're really running late tonight. Mulan, thank you. What the Baron said wasn't all just a stahi. He was truly a monster. Mulan reverently scraped Roswitha into a sack, while Carver tended to Basil, who had bruised his knee a little. Ah, ah, don't touch it. 
There's one thing I don't understand, Mulan. What were these plans that had everyone in such a fuss? Could they possibly be worth all this? Mulan? Mulan? But he was gone. And so was the thick envelope that had rested moments ago on Rotswita's remains. Kava Cranebottom Bone Detective Christmas Special is brought to you by Midnight Mass. Phew, okay. The kids are fast asleep. Surely we can duck out for 45 minutes. St. Bernadette's is right around the corner and it would be so convenient to not have to go tomorrow morning. What are you talking about? They'll be fine. No, no. Yeah, I guess you're right. Fine, I guess we can go at nine o'clock right in the middle of presents. I don't know, Sheila. You tell me what's more important. I work every goddamn day, and I just want to enjoy watching my kids open their presents without having to interrupt it for... Well, okay, well, I guess I stopped believing a long time ago. Well, what with the sex abuse scandal? Yes, I know that's not all priests. This has nothing to do with Father Al. I do like Father Al. I know. God, you treat me like I'm an idiot, Sheila. I know that priests can still sin, and it doesn't disprove God. I just don't see how he could let this happen. Or... Nothing. No, nothing. Nothing! Fine. I guess... I guess I just don't see how he could have let that happen to Carl. Carl was a good man, in church every Sunday. And then you see these terrorists and killers out there doing whatever they... No, I'm not crying. I'm just angry. It's not fair. It's not right. I'm just trying. We're all just trying. And who is he to judge us? We have to live here, damn it, in this world. And I guess he's floating around on some cloud telling us all what to do. Well, I don't want to hear it. Not after the scandal and not after Carl. Oh, God. Oh, I miss him so much. Oh, Carl. Sheila. I love you too, Sheila. I love you too. Believe it or not, dear listeners, that was a happy ending. Anytime the Krampus ends up being someone disguised as the Krampus, rather than being the actual Krampus himself, there is a definite call for rejoicing. Trust me, I know from experience. This is no wives' tale, no scary story to keep the children in order. My family has been plagued for generations by the dark Christmas figure. Why else do you think I take such precautions before each and every Christmas extravaganza? It's to protect my dear family. Now one might dare say, hey narrator, why don't you and your family live a more generous, moral, and kind life that exemplifies the meaning of Christmas, rather than engaging in activities that the Krampus has taken specific notice of for hundreds and hundreds of years? Well, to that I simply have to say, oh happy day the first guest has arrived. Oh... I must depart, dear listeners, and uh, but please know that your old friend narrator wishes you and your families a loving holiday and a prosperous new year. Uh, why, hello, third cousin Tammy, and Merry Christmas to you, too. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me take your things. We can put all of it in the coat room. Follow me. Um, Tammy, I've been meaning to talk to you about last Christmas extravaganza. Um, you know, I've never felt so (sighs) terrified and excited at the same time. It's like this, this warmth has come over me in the past year. And I just wanted to know if you were feeling the same thing. Tammy? Tammy, where'd you go? Tammy? Tammy, I hope I haven't scared you... God, how did you get in here? How did you get past the holy fires? The yearling calves' blood. Oh, my God, not this time. No, you will not bring me back to him. I will not do his bidding anymore. How dare you, Krampus? No, get your hands off of me. No, no, I will go back. I will go back.
Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Werner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. The Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective Christmas Special written by Mr. Kane, Mr. Werner, and Mr. Whalen. Featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy with Mr. Josh Henderson of Continue Show and Cracking the Spine Podcast as Richard the Coat Goon, Miss Elena Bosler as Hraswitha, and Mr. David Alt as Gus Gesterson III. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit RudeAlchemy.com slash attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. To support Rude Alchemy and gain access to exclusive bonus content including blooper reels from every season, visit RudeAlchemy.com slash support. From all of us at Rude Alchemy, thanks for listening. It's been a wonderful year. Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry holidays. Christmas. Well, there's no reason to be politically correct. Well. Happy Yule. Yep. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Solstice. God bless everybody. And Goddess bless them too. <laughs> oh, you atheist bastard! Egno- <laughs> no, no, no. Good night. <clears throat> okay, want to do it one more time? <laughs> yes. Just keep rolling. From everyone here at Rude... Am I the announcer? Or no, just I be you. Just be you. I'm me. That's my least favorite person to be. Oh, it's the same for everybody. Um, from all of us here at Rude Alchemy... From all of us here at Rude Alchemy... Thank you for listening to our first full year. From yeah! All- <sighs> How about this? Let's, let's do it a little looser. Here we go. Well, boys... Yeah? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, Dad? We've got our first full year in the can. Woohoo! Oh, and man. we couldn't have done it without our loyal listeners. So, from all of us here at Rude Alchemy, thank you and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. holidays. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Yule. Happy Hanukkah. Jesus Happy is Lord. Happy Solstice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Wrong podcast. Wrong podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm done. Okay. Thanks. There are many things that we can all do that may help stop the spread of the coronavirus. One thing we can all do is to have a plan in case you do get sick. First, consult with your health care provider for more information about monitoring your health for symptoms suggestive of COVID-19. Second, stay in touch with others by phone or email. You may need to ask for help from friends, family, neighbors, community health workers, or more if you become sick. And finally, determine who can care for you if your caregiver gets sick. For more information, go to cdc.gov and be well, everyone.